Right next to the entrance of my heart was our first room, the study. In my home, this room of the mind is a very modest room with little light. A thin dust rests on most of the surfaces. He stepped in and I watched as he noticed the smattering of books on the shelves and the print material sitting on the table. He gazed at the pictures on the wall. He couldn't help but notice the place where I had installed a giant screen. Strangely, I had never really considered what others may think of this room, but now that Jesus was in it, I was becoming self-conscious, even embarrassed. The books on the shelf were of little value. Many were even dishonoring to him. More of them explored a life without him rather than with him. Images flashed on the screen, the imaginations and thoughts of my mind. Some of these were shameful. Some had become so permanent they were pictures and portraits hanging on the wall. Jesus saw it all. I realized this room had not only become little used, it had often been used to my own detriment and harm. Flushed, I turned to him and met his eyes. Master, with you here, I can see this room needs a major overhaul. Will you help me turn this room into something it ought to be, something you will enjoy and also good for me? To my surprise, Jesus smiled and said, of course. I will be glad to work with you to transform this room. First, take the hard step many are convinced they can skip. Remove the titles, images, and habits of your mind that are not helpful, pure, good, or true. It's real work to throw them out, and some of them will somehow keep coming back in. Then, he continued, fill the empty spaces on your shelf with scripture. Come back to them often and meditate on them day and night. Let them shift your way of thinking and expand your perspective. The images and pictures you have allowed in this space will be more difficult to control, but they also will shift over time. I can give you something to help. He handed me a full-size portrait of himself. I was embarrassed because it felt a little cheesy. I know, he said, as if reading my thoughts, but you need a new focal point for your life. Hang this centrally on the wall of your mind. Watch what happens over time. Thank you, Phil. Well, our Advent series this year is called Prepare Him Room. It comes from that little phrase of joy to the world. And we're going to be exploring what it means to ask Jesus to transform every part of our lives. In Ephesians 3, it says that God, by the power of his Spirit in Christ, comes and dwells, makes his home in the hearts of all Christians. It's an amazing promise. And we're going to take a look at the home of our hearts, or the rooms of our hearts, if you will, and wonder together how we can continue to prepare room for Jesus to be at home in us. There is a sermon from the 1950s called My Heart, Christ's Home that has been helpful to us, really inspired a lot of uh, this thinking about Ephesians 3. And Eric has actually used it to write all eight of the rooms that you can see kind of carefully up on the slide there, the study, the dining room, the kitchen, the bedroom, the hall closet, the living room, the gym, and the garage, and put them into our context. So today we're going to spend time in the study, our minds, and in the coming weeks, some of these other rooms, and look into appetites and affections and more. There are lots of rooms for us to explore. Some of you know that my family moved this summer into a home that sounds a little bit like the study that Phil was just describing. Uh, the structure of our house is solid. There are so many great things about it. But when we first went to look at this house and open the door, 
the overwhelming thing that we noticed was stale cigarette smoke. And decades of life had been lived in this place, obviously not just by people, but by animals. And uh, the carpet was stained, the walls were dirty, there were fixtures that had been there, most of them for 40 years, many of them were broken. And it was if the people living there had just not noticed how run down this space had become. And we had a really clear sense that we were supposed to be there, but there was something really difficult about living in a space that made us uncomfortable and needed so much work. And that's a little bit how I feel it would be like to invite Jesus into the study of my heart, into my mind. To open the door for the first time and wonder, how would it look? What would it smell like? It's a bit scary to turn on the lights when it's been dark for a while. But at the same time, there's also a sense of anticipation. The thought of letting fresh air in, getting a chance to redo and make different choices about that space. So it feels both vulnerable and also something I deeply long for at the same time. So that is what we are going to be doing, especially today, as we go into the study, the life of our mind. So let's pray, and we will enter in. Loving Father, it's an amazing thing that the King of all creation, you make your home and abide in your people. So today, and as we look into this Advent season, we want to give you more access to our lives. Would you teach us together about this great mystery that you dwell in us, and teach us how we can prepare room for you to be at home in our hearts. We pray these things in your name, Jesus, the one who has come and the one who has promised to return. Amen. Well, as we begin, let me say, if this is a new idea to you that God takes up residence in the hearts of his people, I'm especially glad that you are here. We're going to be talking about this for the next five weeks, and I hope you will continue on this journey with us, and if it would be helpful to you, reach out. I would love to talk with you about that. Maybe the person you came with would uh, love to talk with you, but let us journey together in this. So our first scripture for today is Romans 12. It's on page 975 in your pew Bibles if you want to look on with us. And it says this in Romans 12. I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. It's interesting that here and elsewhere, when scripture talks about a transformed life, it often begins in the mind. It says here that worshiping God and pleasing God, being able to discern his will, comes from having a renewed mind. Colossians says this, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ God. This is a word of discipleship. If your life is in Christ, if Christ dwells in you, then your mind should also be set and focused on him who is your life. Romans 8 says this, those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds 
set on what the Spirit desires. Over and over again in Scripture, the importance of our minds is lifted up as part of our discipleship, as far, part, a huge part of following God. Our mind is important to God, and the way that we tend to our mind should be important to us. And I think these passages beg the question, setting our minds on what the Spirit desires, setting our minds on things above. If you imagine Jesus walking into the study of your heart, into your mind, what would be the focal point, the place where you have set your mind, where your focus, where that primary place, that large screen in the center, what is it that he would find there as a focal point of your mind? I've been asking myself that question and realizing that there are places that definitely need to be renewed and transformed in my own mind, and I've been wondering, how is it that that renewal and that transformation happens? I was with a man two weeks ago who talked about how stress at work had consumed his mind. He had a narcissistic boss, and this boss had a really negative impact on the whole organization. And this guy was saying he just didn't know how to handle it. And he realized that for years, he had been emotionally unavailable to his wife and kids because his mind was so anxious about work all the time, whether he was there or whether he wasn't. And he wondered aloud what might have been different for his life and for the life of his family if he had been able to have a mind that was focused on Christ rather than on this broken relationship and all the harm that it caused. I was uh, spending time recently with someone who's really sick, and they said something to me that has been such an important insight. They said even though the disease in their body is located in a particular place, their biggest challenge is in their mind, to have hope, to tell the truth to themselves and to the people in their life to gear up to endure the treatments that are necessary. The vital importance of the mind in the physical battle of suffering was an important learning for me. We wondered together how to have a mind focused on life and not death, on Christ and not on fear. And then just this week, I called a girlfriend who is a third grade teacher because this is what I know about her life. Every day she walks into a room of 25 eight-year-olds who hang on her every word. She can see in their faces uh, her words of kindness, how they impact her. She is responsible to teach them like foundational academic and life skills, and she needs to know all the details of how they learn and what's going on in their life and their families. Not to mention, she has three kids who are also in school. She has a husband who works full-time. She's an athlete. I know that she's training. She has a huge extended family. She has lots of friends. And I just asked her, how in the world, with all of that going on, do you keep your mind focused on Christ? What does that look like in your life, even though it's mostly good? It's caused me to ask with these three different people, what about the rest of our lives. What vies for your mind's focus? And if Jesus was in the study of your heart, what would he find to be the focus of your mind? 
And how in the midst of your everyday life, no matter what season you're in, if it is a sweet season or it's a season of suffering, can you have your mind focused on Christ? Now certainly Jesus doesn't intend for us to spend our lives sitting with our eyes closed, gazing at some imaginary portrait of him. That sounded also really cheesy to me as Phil was reading. So how does this happen, that we are able to be present and active and functional in our life while we also have our minds set on things above and have a focus on Jesus Christ? Well, you heard Phil mention this step toward having a focused mind that many of us are convinced that we can just skip over. He said this, remove the images and habits of your mind that are not helpful and pure and good and true. Take the titles off of those shelves that are bent away from God or in direct opposition to the things of God. And that idea comes straight out of Ephesians. Just after Paul talks about Jesus dwelling in our hearts through faith in Ephesians 3, in chapter 4, he talks about the importance of the mind of the follower of Jesus. Notice the language of the mind in this passage from Ephesians 4. He says this, You must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. So he says this, Put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Again, here we see a life of Christian discipleship means having a renewed mind that is focused on Christ. And what Ephesians is saying here is that a renewed mind comes when the old ways of thinking are replaced with new ones. And this is a biblical truth, but it's also something that is confirmed by neuroscience and lots of life experience, mine and I know many of yours as well, that old habits and addictions and lies and images, in order for them to actually be removed from your mind and your life, they need to be replaced with something new. Essentially, removing the old is not enough. In the most basic sense, we are too prone to our old ways. You know that phrase, old habits die hard. Neural pathways are deeply grooved into our brains, and we have an enemy who wants to trap us in shame and sin, that we would not be free from the old to live in the new. And less old ways are replaced with new ones. The old habits will keep and continue to fill those shelves in our mind. This, I think, is a really interesting part of faith, that God has declared us holy in Jesus Christ, that he comes and dwells in us, declares us holy, and yet he also invites us to participate with him in this transformation. That he has done it, and he says, you join me in this. These are very active verbs. Put off the old. Put on the new. Though you have been declared holy in Christ, to focus your mind on Christ is something that we participate, the work of the Spirit in us, to be transformed and renewed. You know, I often pray for myself and for others that I spend time with for this kind of work to be gentle, 
And often it is. And whether it feels gentle or not, this is what we know about how God deals with the old ways. He is always precise and focused, never haphazard in dealing with our lives and our hearts. But sometimes it's true that removing the old requires getting all the way down to the studs, if you will. Like doing some demo and taking out walls because they have been there for so long. But even when the work is deep and disruptive like that, when we invite the Lord in to do that work with us, it's always good. It always results in transformation and renewal that is good for us and for others. The other side is that transformed life. I love this verse from 2 Corinthians 10 that Lindsay uh, spoke of in her prayer. And it's this word that is a very active and actually deep and disruptive uh, word. It says, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. We take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ, 2 Corinthians 10, 5. That is a word of action that we participate in taking hold of lies and saying, out with the old, I am replacing that with a word of truth. And here is what is so amazing, I think, about this, that the primary way that the old is removed and the new is replaced is by focusing our minds on Jesus. As Phil said, the new comes by filling the empty spaces of our shells after we have sought to take those thoughts captive, remove them by replacing them with scripture, with promises of God's word, with truth, with hope, and coming back and meditating on God's word for us, his power, his love, his presence day and night, practicing the presence of the Lord. And again, we don't do this alone. God does it with us and for us. And often, let me say, church, we do this with one another as well. This almost always happens in the context of our life together and gracious, empathetic, trusted friends who come alongside us. And here is what I would tell you that sounds a little bit counterintuitive, I think, at first, is that for every one look that you take at the old, spend five times as much thinking about the new. For every one examination of the old life and the old lies and the old habits, spend five times looking at the new and practicing the new habits. I think sometimes we want to think and we think that we need to think so much about the old, but I want to say for every one look at your sin, take five looks at your Savior. Focus your mind on Christ. And I think what we'll find is that the old, uh, while we actively participate with God in that, taking five looks at our Savior will replace the old with the new. Our life is meant to be in the restoration phase and living in that transformed life. So I also just want to tell you that while this idea of hanging the portrait of Jesus centrally in the wall of your mind sounded really cheesy to me at first, I have been trying it this whole week as I've been preparing this sermon and preparing Thanksgiving and having house guests and Scott's family in town, taking moments throughout the day to try to focus my mind on Jesus as the center of my life. 
and even to image in my mind a portrait of Jesus. This is one of my favorites, um, this sweet portrait. Usually I'm not in the picture, but in this case, I love this. That having a picture to think about as I also spend time delighting in God's word has been renewing for me just day to day. And what I want to encourage you is that if you feel like the study of your heart, that your mind is a mess, that it feels uh, dark, dirty, scary, the thought of inviting Jesus in, the best thing that we can do is begin by focusing on Jesus, by hanging the wall, uh, photo of the wall of Christ in our mind, whatever that looks like for you. Begin with Jesus that the old would go and the new would come. So here's something that I found was really interesting. The word anxiety means literally to be in pieces. It's the opposite of focus. In the Greek, the word is merimna, to be in pieces, scattered. And in Luke 10, when Jesus visits Martha and Mary in their home, there's a play on this word. It says that Martha was anxious and distracted, merimnus by all the preparations. She was all over the place. You can see in this picture, she's the one there holding out her hand. She has a dead bird in her hand. There's a whole leg of lamb there. All these things in the foreground. She's in pieces, distracted, anxious. And she complains to Jesus that her sister Mary isn't helping her do all the things. Don't you care, she says? Tell her to help me. And what does Jesus say to her? He says, Martha, Martha, you are anxious, marimna, and upset about many things. You're in pieces, divided, frustrated. Jesus says, few things are needed. In fact, only one. It's a word of focus. Mary has chosen what is best. I love that. Mary was focused on one thing, being with Jesus. She had discerned that the most important thing was not tending to all of the things around Jesus and being in pieces, doing all the things for Jesus, but being with him and focusing her attention and her affection on him. Now, I am a Martha to a fault. In fact, I seek out blog posts that are entitled In Defense of Martha because <laughs> I know that if people want to eat, dinner has to be made. And I sometimes just need to be reminded that Jesus loved Mary, and, or Martha, too. And Martha also had a deep faith. She's an important part of our history in many ways. But I also know that very often, the very gifts that God gives us, that we would be able to delight in him. And these gifts here of help and administration and hospitality also can divide me and us into pieces to be busy and anxious doing all these things to serve jesus and to serve his people but ultimately they take me away from having my focus on him so jesus here is lovingly as he says martha martha he's lovingly asking to be the renewed focus of her attention it's actually a call to renewed friendship that being in his presence would be the most important thing to her. And I love this because Jesus says it not only for our sake, but also for his sake. 
He knows that he delights in being with us and that we are at our best when our minds are focused on him. You know, Jesus intends for our minds to be used for so much good in the world, to lead the way in bringing restoration, the ways of God's kingdom here on earth, to be incredible problem solvers and creators and people who wonder and produce, to be the best thinkers on the planet, the most thoughtful, engaged, present people you could ever meet should be the people of God who have their minds focused on Christ and who live in his presence. This man I mentioned who felt like he lost years of life to the stress and anxiety of uh, his work because he couldn't be focused, he now practices uh, contemplative prayer every day. And not only does he practice it as a habit, but he has taken up teaching others because he knew what it was like to have so much lost when he was anxious and in pieces. And he also learned the importance of living with his mind focused on Christ, even when life was swirling around him. And this is what he said is his desire, that others would grow in intimacy with God and be present and helpful and people of impact, whatever they were doing. I love that. He took off the old and put on the new and invited people to join him in that. This one who is sick is in the depths, in the battle of illness and disease. She continues to take the threats of fear (coughs) off and seek to replace them with words of hope. And my prayer for her has been that every threat of fear and death would be met with five words of hope and encouragement and life. From her mind being focused on Christ, but also from the people around her. And I asked my friend, who's a third grade teacher, does it really make a difference for you as you walk into school to have your mind focused on the Lord. And she said, it absolutely does. She said she is so aware that she does not have enough patience, enough love, enough care to do what she needs to do every day. And so she gets in the car, and as she gets close to school, she said, I pray every single day that God would sustain me by his Holy Spirit and by the truth that I know. And I focus my mind on Christ as I begin, and I come back to him, and he sustains me day after day. And I know that that is true for so many of you. You go out and you serve in the world in so many places, and I am blown away by the faithfulness of your life and the ways that you focus on Christ and that you are a person of his love in so many ways. You know, when we moved into our house this summer, one of the greatest gifts to me was the people who could walk into the space and imagine what it could be like. They had more hope for renewal than I did, more vision for transformation than I did. And they did not pretend like it was all good. Like, they said, yeah, it smells. And they said, yeah, there is a lot of work to do here. But they also assured us that it would be worth it to do the work. They could picture the space with walls removed, 
they confirm that yes, this carpet actually does need to be removed. You can't just spot clean this. You need to replace it with new floors. But they also could walk into some rooms and say, you know, all you need here is a fresh coat of paint. Wash the windows. Put in a plant. It's good. And they encouraged us when we were in that messy demo phase and we weren't sure that it was going to get any better. Some of them even helped us do the work. I see you, Anna, up there. Many people stopped and brought food, and many now come and celebrate the progress all gifts along this journey of renewal and transformation of our space. And now that most of that work is done, we're living in a clean and bright, renewed space that has been such a gift, hopefully not only to us, but to others. And here is what is so beautiful. Jesus is just like our friends. He sees the real need for our minds to be transformed. He sees how challenging he knows about those lies and those habits and that darkness. But he can also completely see your mind renewed and transformed. And his resources of love and healing and power are inexhaustible. They are endless. You cannot wear them out. And also nothing will surprise him. Even the darkest and dirtiest sections that you wish were not there, nothing Will surprise him and nothing is too much for him and i also just want to say those of us who have been on renewal projects of our own minds are not surprised by dark and dirty either because we have dark and dirty ourselves we know it well so i want to encourage you as we uh, dive into this invitation for jesus to come and dwell in us that you would invite him in and maybe a trusted person to begin this work of renewing your mind, that you might live as a person focused on him, focused on him that you might be present and full of his grace to the people around you in all the things that he's called you to do. It's so worth it. Let me pray for us. God, what an amazing gift of your grace. Not only that you make your home in us, but that you would come and renew and transform us and that you would do so in love and power and gentleness. God, we thank you for all the ways that you express your love and grace to us. Help us, God, to respond by opening ourselves to you, to participating with you in this holy work. We love you, Lord, and we thank you in Christ's name. Amen.